Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Transatlantic Crime. Talissa is a nope. little tipsy. I on this Sunday evening. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I just had some drinks with my mum. I was like, "Shall I bring more prosecco?" She was like, "No, I got a Magnum, which I think is three bottles." And then, yeah, oh, like, I, don't, I think I've had about a half bottle and a half. I'm fine. <laughs> How are you? What you been doing? Oh, guess um, what? So what? Well, we have to get straight into this because I don't have very much time today, but. You know, I want to eventually talk about the Tinder, uh, what's it called? The <gasps> Tinder Swindler. Show. Yeah, we will talk about that. We don't have time to talk about that. <gasps> so we're yeah, going to talk did you about watch it, it next time. Yeah, I did. Would you have given him the money? Let's let's talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about That's it in a yes. Patreon episode. <laughs> um, anyways. I've had enough. Right, okay. <laughs> I have a, a little bit of a uh, fun thing that happened to me this weekend so i have some friends visiting from london and (gasps) we went on a hike yesterday and we just like caught up and everything and they brought me some treats some peppa pigs yes you love those (laughs) i love those i was so happy they've branched out so far it's like you can get like a peppa pig cake you can get like Peppa no. Pig and Friends. No, like, I don't want any of that. Nuts! I just want they've the standard nuts. Peppa Pigs. That's all. That's all I need. They're really good. They are. And they good. also they also brought me a box of heroes. <gasps> They're great, Cadbury's heroes. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but chocolate in America has this like you know when you've been sick, <laughs> and then the aftertaste in your mouth. Ew. It kind of tastes a bit like that. I think you are and talking about Hershey's, which, yes, yes, I totally get that. And I've heard that from other British people. But yeah. there's other good chocolate. It's not just, you're just talking about Hershey's, which is like the most known popular thing. Uh, well, yeah. next time I'm out, you'll, you can change my mind. Let's, <laughs> let's just say that. All right. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Right. So. This week, the people have spoken, Rachel. The people have spoken. they want some Australian crimes. Yay. So I'm fucking hoping you didn't do the same one as me. Oh, yeah. This is going to be a total surprise if you did what I did. Like, (laughs) I kind of wanted to text you and say, please don't say you've done the same one as me. But then I was like, if I text her, then it'll ruin the surprise because it's like... Yes. Anyway, anyway, I'm first this week. Well, so, Talissa, I would be very shocked if we did the same exact story. You know, I had faith in you because you always go for weird stuff or stuff <laughs> that we haven't heard of. So like, I had faith that you wouldn't do this. Okay. I've had two people message me saying, "Would you? are you going to cover this? Um, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> but it's because... Okay, the person is originally from Bristol, England. Does that oh, make any... Okay. Nope. Nope. Have done the same You're one? good. You're good. We're good. Yeah. Okay. So, shout out to Sean, who requested this. Hi, and Sean. And also Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Sean. 
Good call. Fun story about Rebecca as well, right? So <laughs> I think she's with someone else now and she's like pregnant and like they're like getting married or they are married or they're living together. Anyway, they are really happy. Yeah. But basically, I met her when I was on this Ox Jam, which is like Oxfam. Yeah. They did like a music festival to raise money. Oh, I remember that. Ox Jam. You have to explain what Oxfam is because we don't have that in the States. Don't you? No. Oh, so uh, I believe I believe they're just a charity that do things for um, people in Africa that ha- need medical help. Okay. Basically. Like, yeah. In a nutshell, I think that's what it is. They, I think they do a lot of stuff. They're huge in England. They have shops oh, everywhere. Massive, massive, huge charity shops. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, like, I guess, if you're comparing it to American, it's like the Salva- Salvation Army or yeah, that big. Goodwill or something like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Although Goodwill is for profit now, so what? go That's somewhere cool. else. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Oxfam do great work, and right. um, I well, I did uh volunteering for them to do marketing on their festival thing that they put on, just because I needed it, and that's how I met Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And I was really drunk, and I've been doing poppers, and <laughs> I. <laughs> Because everyone else had money, so they were doing coke. And then me and my friend uh, Rhea were doing poppers. The poor man's coke. (laughs) They were like, can we have some poppers? And we were like, oh, you'll come crawling back. Yeah. (laughs) They came to our room and they were like, oh, yeah. Then I was like, I said something along the lines of like, oh, you two are so cute together. It's so cute that you got together. And then she was like, no one knows we're going out. Shut up. (gasps) Oh. Like <laughs> I'd like totally dobbed her in it, basically. <laughs> oh no! And I'd only just met her, and she still likes me, so that's Aww. nice. Hi, so Rebecca. thanks, Rebecca, for forgiving me, <laughs> and thanks for sticking with the podcast as well. We love you. <laughs> After I literally just fucked Outed up, her. like yes, the secret relationship that you had. Um, I'm not sure if that's the man she's with now. If it is, good for you. If not, good for you. <laughs> so um, she she asked if we could do this uh, case as well. So there's a BBC podcast, mm-hmm. and it, the BBC do fantastic podcasts, obviously because of the money that they have. Yeah. Uh, for one, and obviously when you say things on the BBC, you can't just make them up, unlike yes. other correct uh, news outlets. Yeah. So, yeah, it's called Fairy Meadow. Is the name of the podcast? Okay. So yeah, Shauna and Rebecca, you requested this and we are giving you what you want. So here it is. This is a story of Cheryl Jean Grimmer. Ooh, okay. So I've never heard of this, but the crazy thing is it's an Australian episode and she she comes from Knoll, which is like in Bristol. Wow. It's like 10 minutes from where I live. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Such a connection. It must have been why they suggested it. But anyway, I haven't listened to the podcast, which has quite annoyed me because I don't like, I'm sure they they are, they are going to cover it much better than I do. Yeah. It's like a 10 parter. I've done a quick outline, but now I know what happens. I've spoiled myself. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure the, the but, podcast will still be good. Yeah, definitely. And I'll have a lot more information and speak to the people involved, etc. Yeah. But okay, so this is the story of Cheryl Jean Grimmer. So. She was born in 1966 in Knoll in Bristol. I've put in brackets, which is 10 minutes from my house. Um, <laughs> her mum was called Carol. Her dad was called Vince. Okay. And 
They started a family when Carol was just 19 and Vince was 18 Aww, in 1968. Babies. That's what happened back then. Yeah. This is what my mum was like. She was like, if you wanted to be with someone, you had to marry them. If you wanted to bang. Yeah, if you wanted to get, you wanted to bump uglies, <laughs> yeah. you had to get a rig on it. So that's yep. what they did. So um, at two years old, she was the youngest of four. And she was also the only girl of the family. Hmm. Her brothers were Ricky, who was seven, Stephen, who was five, and Paul, who was four. So that is close together. Yes. You've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. Wow. All before like, the shit. age of 25. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. When Carol was 26 and Vince was 24, they decided to emigrate to Australia. Okay. So that was in the spring of 1968. Wow. So they had Um, like newborns and they were like, let's move to another country. Very similar to my parents, by the way. But anyways. Yeah. God. Yeah. I think people were braver back then. Yeah. Maybe. There was a huge kind of drive, like come to Australia. Yeah. And populate populate us you know how america had that in the 20s or the 30s or whatever yeah australia had that in the 60s they were like fuck it just come over Mm -hmm. so people did and um they emigrated to australia and they stayed in a migrant workers hostel called the fairy meadow migrant hostel which is why the podcast is called fairy meadow Mm. and this was located in the coastal city of wollongong in new (laughs) south wales australia really has (laughs) really Honestly, great names <laughs> this is just like that simpsons episode where he goes that's a funny like it's a bullfrog and he goes yeah that's a funny name for a frog i'd have called him cheers wasers <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> and that's all i can think of yeah so it's in new south Wales, new south wales so it's the southeast corner of australia and it's about one hour and a 15 minute drive from the biggest city which is sydney okay so if sorry, if you go yeah, south from Sydney, one hour fifty minutes, that is Wollongong, where they moved to. So Vince joined the Australian Army and he was working as a sapper, which I had to look up. So that's a soldier who does engineering duties. Oh it sounds really exciting. So he does breaching fortifications, demolitions and bridge building. Mm, okay. So he basically blows shit up. Yeah. That's his job, which sounds really super fun. It sounds so, very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so he was in the army. So on the 12th of January, 1970, which is Australian summer, mm-hmm. if you recall. Yep. So super hot. Uh, Carol and the children went to the beach because Vince was away on duty. And the weather started to get cold at about 1.30pm. So Carol decided that it was time for everybody to leave. And while she packed up all the family's things, the children went to the shower block to wash off all the sand off themselves. Mm-hmm. And then about 1.40pm, the eldest child, Ricky, ran to his mum and told her that Cheryl wouldn't leave the shower block and come back with them. Okay. So he's basically saying, like, I can't get her to leave, come back with me. Yeah. So Carol followed Ricky back and found that Cheryl had just disappeared. Oh. How old so is Cheryl at this point? She's, like, three. Oh. So... Ricky's seven mm-hmm. and Cheryl's about three. Carol started to panic and because there's no payphones nearby, she made her way to the nearest house and asked if she could use their phone to call the police, which she did. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl being reported missing sparked a massive search. 
Okay. Witnesses were interviewed and reported seeing a man holding up Cheryl to drink water from a water fountain. Mm. But later on, Ricky said that they were probably mistaken because that was he did that earlier in the day. Okay. So they think, like, from a distance, they probably thought that was a man, but it wasn't. It was him. Yeah. And it was also claimed that she was spotted in a white car, but nothing came of that either. Mm. So the next day, New South Wales police theorised four separate theories as to what could have happened to Cheryl. So these are all bullshit, by the way, apart from the okay. last one. Um, so so one, and you'll see why when I read them. Yeah. One, she was hiding and had mm. fallen asleep. Okay. So unlikely. Uh, like, I I disagree. You wake up and you're three years old. You start screaming and shouting and running I, and screaming, I, "Mom!" I don't I don't agree. Uh, no, I can tell and you, you on two. Sleep in uh, 0.2 seconds. No, no, <laughs> I'm I'm saying like I disagree with you, Talissa. Really? That can happen. Yeah, I could tell you two occasions. Same age. My sister during a family party when she was like three Which years one? old and I was six. Uh, Sally, the next one down for me. All right. Yeah. She just disappeared during a family party, <laughs> right? It was terrifying. Right? My yeah. dad went, like, we were at my grandparents' house. They lived by this, like, park with a small, it wasn't really a lake. It was, like, a pond. My dad That's just, like, scary. yeah, searched around there, asked people where she was. She was gone for, like, a good amount of time. Everyone was looking for her throughout the neighborhood, and I came downstairs. I think it was about two hours. I came downstairs Whoa. and I found her behind a chair and she <laughs> was just there and she was eating no. cookies. And I went upstairs and told on her because I was like jealous that she had a pack of cookies. And my parents <laughs> were like, what? You found Sally? And I was like, yeah, she's eating cookies. Like, I didn't care that she was down there. I was just like mad that she was eating cookies. Where's my shit? <laughs> yeah. So she was just behind a chair, like one of those big lazy boy chairs and nobody, oh she didn't, she didn't say a, she didn't make a peep during that time. Like she didn't care. This this is why I can't handle kids because they'll do stuff like that to me. I'll have a heart attack and die. <laughs> and then the this other thing happened to my friend, I think it was about two years ago. This is in California in LA. Again, it was like during a family gathering or something. His nephew, who was about three or four, crawled into this crawl space under the house. No. no. And got stuck. No. They couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was. They called the police. There was a helicopter that flew around oh my god they were god. looking for him for hours they they didn't hear him my heart i know he was just there uh That's maybe he fell asleep kid. or something <laughs> but <laughs> they eventually they eventually found him so i'm saying that talissa your point for number one is <laughs> very likely that a three-year-old falls asleep in a little space for a couple hours and just doesn't fucks know off. yeah doesn't know what's yeah. going on maybe wakes up and is like oh i woke up okay and then... i okay <laughs> i'm i'm like a childless younger siblingless yeah person yeah i'm like that's fucking stupid and you're like no it's not no it's really it's not. not and probably further no. solidifies your feeling on okay. not having children Yes, it really does. Yes. Okay, so that was number one. Okay. Number two was that 
that they thought she'd wandered off um and into the ocean and been carried away by the current. Mm-hmm. But that was unlikely because yeah. they'd gone to the shower block. So right. she'd have had to walk, to have walked quite a way mm. back to the ocean for yeah. that to have happened. And probably would have been um, noticed uh, at yeah. any point. Yeah, definitely. And then number three was that she had fallen into a nearby waterway and been carried away. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Again, unlikely. Or four, that she had been kidnapped. Okay. So... After they did a thorough search of the water nearby and the area, they concluded that she must have been taken. So Mm. they settled on number four. Police had a tip that there was a Volkswagen van by the scene and that they'd begun searching for it, but they never found anything. Okay. And then three days later, after Cheryl was taken, which was on the 15th of January, the police received a ransom note demanding oh. 10,000 Australian dollars. Wow. Um which is which I worked out is $130,000 in t- in today's money. Really? Wow. Which is fucking a lot of money. Yeah. So and they said if you want Cheryl returned and unharmed, that's how much you have to pay us. Wow. So the police the police took this pretty seriously. Yeah. Um they set up a sting where they dressed up as council workers um, at the place where the people said they wanted the money dropped mm-hmm. and they pretended to drop the money, but nobody showed up. So mm. they had assumed that because of like all the media attention and the huge police operation, that that just spooked the note writer. Okay. But then loads of people were like, that was just a hoax that went too yeah. far. Yeah. Um. So the case was so huge in Australia. It was a bit like Madeleine McCann here. Yeah, um, it also is kind of reminding me of John Bonet Ramsey as well. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's got all of those um sort of echoes to it. Like yeah. just a cute little blonde girl that goes missing basically right. on on holiday and like nobody has a fucking clue right what happened. So the media attention became too much and then the Grimmer family decided that they were really overwhelmed and they needed to return to England. So they did that for the next 10 years. In the succeeding years, the police identified three main suspects, but no one could be positively tied to the case. Oh. Yeah, so they, they, they basically have nothing. But their best lead was a local teenager and he came forward in 1971 a year and a half after the kidnapping, and he decided to confess. At the time, he was just 15 slash 16 with how long the um, investigation took. Yeah. But he, co- he couldn't be named because he was a minor. And he said that he'd taken and killed Cheryl. He told police that he took her to a rural area to bury her. They took him to show them exactly where, but it now had houses built on it. What? I mean, that's not very long. Like, yeah. Houses built in 18 months? Right. That's unlucky. Yeah. Cheap houses. Um, oh, they were springing up all over. Yeah. So, apparently. So, um, they took him to show them exactly where, but it now had houses. So, the police interviewed the owner of the property, under which he said the body would now have been buried. But the owner of the property contradicted the suspect of the suspect's description of what the area looked like before. Hmm. So the suspect basically said there was a cattle grid on it and it had a tubular gate 
and the resident said absolutely impossible that wasn't the case that was not here yeah so due to the inconsistencies the police basically dropped the lead and okay. they said there was simply no material evidence to the confession and and it was just put down to a false confession so the police made appeals and they offered $5,000 award which is $65,000 in today's money roughly um, from the New South Wales government, but the case went cold. Mm, okay. So, it, again, it's like real echoes of Madeleine McCann. Yes. Um, in the 2000s, North South Wales Police Minister Mike Gallagher made a statement and he said there was every possibility that Cheryl was still... This is so vague, it's ridiculous. He goes, <laughs> there's every possibility she's still alive, as oh. well as her attacker. There's also a chance she's dead. Oh. As well as the attacker. Just say nothing. <laughs> there is a chart, but also obviously there's Yes. <laughs> you don't need to say that. <laughs> you don't need to say either of those things if they're no, both don't. possibly true or false. There's a possibility that could be me that has six <laughs> fingers in one universe. There's a possibility of me that could have seven. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. Although he did say one thing that was useful which was that one of her defining characteristics was was that she had an outy belly button. Okay. But then he also said this could have been corrected by surgery by now. Yeah, it could have. But it, I don't... You're not helping. <laughs> Stop. I'm, my face right now is I know. very It's confused. just the monkey. It's just the white monkey with the outward arms. <laughs> what do you want from me? After the appeal that was made, that fucking useless speech. Yeah. Come on, dude. <laughs> um, for, some, for some reason, a woman came forward believing that she could be Cheryl because she was the right age and she had an outy belly button. But after a DNA test, uh, they swabbed her cheek and it was revealed that she wasn't her. That's that. What? Did this so, woman have no memory of her childhood? Like, why did she think that maybe she was... I guess if you were stolen at three, you might not have a memory of a childhood, but... But still, like... no. Do you remember did she have suspicion of her own parents or something? Or, like, uh, why Why ooh. would you... You know? Yes, uh, it's a good question. I, and I would suggest listening to the podcast who okay. researched this way better than me. <laughs> so, so uh, in 2011, um, a coroner declared Cheryl officially dead. Hmm, okay. Stating they believe she'd probably been killed shortly after she went missing. Yeah. They recommended that the police reopen the investigation. Carol, however, Cheryl's mum, believed that she was still alive and she wouldn't give up trying to find her. Hmm. The police offered a hundred thousand Australian dollar reward for any information about her wow. disappearance. Yeah. Um Wollongong detectives and the homicide squad's unsolved homicide team. They combined into a new task force called Strike Force Wessel. Not sure of the origins of that name, but that's what it was called. They got together like a huge task force. They were really trying to find her. Okay. Um, but short shortly after that, both of Cheryl's parents died and they never found out what happened. Oh, that's sad. I know. Super sad. Um, Did they die so like just naturally or... You know, was yeah, it stress so. or something? Or... In 2011, in the 60s, they were 20. So they, had, they, they died old. I'm not doing the maths right now, but they okay. died old. <laughs> um, let's, just put it, let's just put it that way. 
So in 2016, all the evidence the police had yeah. was put into a computer for the first time. Ooh, a computer. So it's, yeah, ooh, <laughs> a little spreadsheet. So uh, before that, though, it is all literally fucking yeah, paper notes. Just papers and boxes. Not good. That's how the fucking Yorkshire Ripper got away with everything. Right, right. It was all on bits of paper. Yeah. So... I mean, that's how I lose track of shit at work, is I write it on a bit of paper. <laughs> so, let alone the police. Yeah. They put it all in a computer and they they looked at everything they had. And doing this showed them that they had a lot of leads that hadn't been pursued thoroughly enough. Uh, of course. Surprise, surprise. Sounds like it. Yeah. So the best lead that they had was the 1971 confession that the teenager made. Mm-hmm. The teenager that we can't know the name of. Yeah. So they went back to the building that he said buried Cheryl under. And the original owner's son said that his dad was wrong. And there was a cow grid Ooh. where the boy said said that there was one. Yeah. And they also found three witnesses saying that they'd seen the teenage boy loitering around that shower block that Cheryl disappeared from. So that kind of pisses me off that the police just went to that house the guy who owned the house was like, nope, none of that was here. And then they just left it. If they had yeah. pursued it and talked, they would have found witnesses there and then. I mean, I don't know who you have to talk to, like some kind of fucking town planner or... Well, yeah, more than one person look at, at least. Yeah. Knock next door. Right. <laughs> Knock I guess next they were door. Just, I guess they were just overwhelmed when they sure. were like, fuck it, that's a no, bye. Yeah. Like, we've got a million Good other things for me. that we need to... Yeah. Yeah, look at. But um, yeah, apparently the son was like, yeah, there was there was a cattle grid here. And witnesses said that they saw that boy loitering around the shower block. Mm-hmm. So they appealed for the man who reported the boy loitering, who would now be in his 60s. Okay. They also turned their attention to the Mount Penang Training School for Boys, mm. which was a reformatory school. Okay. Which is like... Um, for the bad kids. Juvenile. Yeah juvenile prison kind of right. situation um which it was believed the suspect attended in the early 70s mm-hmm. and this is it's all it's kind of again it reminds me of madeline mccann in that they drip feed information like very carefully leak information to the press so yeah. that they can know if someone's fake confessing right so they hinted to the press that they have been told by someone in the school that people there had information and that they may now talk, okay. whereas they wouldn't have before. Okay. So you know how in cold cases they're like loyalties may have changed, yes. or you know people you aren't may not scared like that. anymore. Yeah, like mm. that person might have died, or yeah. you might not be going out with them anymore. So you're like, fuck it, I don't care. I'll talk to the police. Right. Um. So yeah, they were like, there's somebody at that school that might know something. Yeah. So. On March the 23rd, 2017, a man was arrested in Melbourne, which is south of Sydney. Yeah. He was charged at Wollongong Police Station with Cheryl's abduction and murder. Wow. They said because of the development in the residential area, it was extremely unlikely that Cheryl's body would be found 47 Mm. years later. Yeah. So what that makes me think is it might have been one of those situations where he saw people were like laying concrete and foundations. Yes. Or whatever. Right. The houses were being built. Yeah. So it's like your chance. So in April 2017, 
police were trying to trace a family who'd, who gave an important statement on the day of the kidnapping. They had moved to Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. and then back to their native Nottinghamshire. Oh. That is an exotic family. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, so they moved back to their native Nottinghamshire, England. Um, they were eventually located by Interpol. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, so this is a really massive deal. And they agreed to give their statement in a, in the court case. Mm-hmm. So the next month, in May 2017, police officially revealed that the suspect who had been arrested was the teenage boy from 1975. Wow. I think we all guessed. Yeah. Um, but they weren't allowed to say. He was now 63, and he was originally from the UK, but he'd been in Australia since the late 1960s. Yeah. And he was not allowed to be named in the press even now because he was a minor at the time of the crime. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that that would carry on. Like retroactive. Yeah. Wow. I mean, well, I guess like very also lucky every for chance him. He, very lucky for him, but there's every chance that he didn't do it. That's very that's I mean, he true probably fucking well. did it. Yeah. But there's every chance he didn't do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he fucking did, but you don't know. Right. So, in his original, so this is all during the court case this came out. Okay. So, in his original statement in 1971, it was revealed that he told doctors that he had urges to kill himself and kill other people. Okay. Okay, why aren't you being sectioned? Yeah. That is like sectioning 101. Again, 70s, kids are just Get left off on their own, especially if he's at <laughs> a reform a school. Yeah, they just... Like, Probably I'm smoking thinking- drugs. <laughs> I'm thinking about that kid that's like the vampire kid that you told, what was oh, it, yeah, last week or yeah. the week before. Kids were just left to yeah, their own devices. Yeah, kids say crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> boys will be boys. Yeah, kids will suck blood and say crazy <laughs> shit. Yeah, kids will say they want to kill themselves and other yeah. people. Okay, so this is what he confessed had happened. Okay. So, he said, after the abduction, he had hidden with the toddler in a nearby drain for about 35 minutes. Gagging her with a handkerchief and tying her hands behind her back with a shoelace. After emerging from the drain, he took her three kilometres on foot to the suburb he described. The prosecutor said they believe the crime was sexually motivated, which the man denied. In his original confession, he told the police that after he took the gag off Cheryl, she started to scream. So he put his hands around her neck and told her to shut up, Mm. eventually strangling her to death. Okay. He apparently panicked, took off her clothing, and placed bushes and dirt over the body before heading back to Fairy, Bed- Fairy Meadow Beach. Mm. All of that seems a bit like, why did nobody see you? Why did you take your clothes off? There yeah. are a lot of questions. Yes. Yeah. I know he's uh, he's like mentally unstable, but like a lot of that. There's a lot of you just get more questions from that, really. Yes, exactly. When it says that he, when it says that she starts screaming, mm-hmm. so he puts his hand hands around her neck to shut her up. That's believable. Yeah. But taking off her clothing, there's no need to do that. No. And then placing her under bushes and dirt, and then heading back. If it's a building site or even a meadow mm. at the time, and not mm. a. a like, it's being built on. How would you miss a dead body? Yeah. Loads of it is, like, it's not, like sketchy. it doesn't make sense. It's sketchy. Yeah. His confession doesn't really make sense. But then they also say 
that his confession apparently included information which couldn't have been known unless she were the killer. Okay. Like the description of the swimsuit that she was wearing, the specificities of her towel. Mm. He also mentioned that somebody had picked up Cheryl so that she could drink from a water fountain. And if you remember, that was her brother, Ricky. Yes. Right. So he had been watching her. Okay. If nothing else. Yeah. So the defense argued that the man was extremely mentally unwell when he confessed. Okay. So that his his confession should be inadmissible. Was there proof they of also that? Claim, uh, Probably, if that's what they were claiming. He had a doctor, right? So he said that he wanted to hurt himself and other people. Right. Okay. So that's probably his proof of being mentally unstable. Yeah. Yeah. And they said that he also claimed to admit in killing a prison officer who they later found out was alive and well. Oh. So that's like kind of proof of him either being delusional or lying. Yes. And also um, having like violent beliefs or fantasies. fantasies. Yeah. Yeah. So on the 7th of September 2018, the suspect appeared via video link at New South Wales Supreme Court to confirm his name and enter a not guilty plea. His trial was due in May 2019. You're not going to like this, Rachel. But a judge declared that key piece of evidence was inadmissible. Oh. By the way, if you want to listen to the court, if you want to listen to that podcast and I have a huge spoiler, I would skip the last bit of my story. Okay. <laughs> well, I can't. No, you can't and I can't, which is <laughs> annoying. But if you want to listen to what happened, skip this, listen to Fairy Meadow, yeah, and then come back. So in May 2019, his trial was due in May 2019, Okay, but judge declared a key piece of evidence was inadmissible meaning the prosecution had to drop the case in February 2019 due to lack of evidence. Mm. So they just dropped the case and he was never prosecuted. What? So it's been 54 years since Cheryl's disappearance. Wow. And if she was alive now, she would be 57 years old. Oh. And that is the unsolved case of the local Bristolian, Cheryl Grimmer. Oh, poor Cheryl. How and her family. fucking frustrating yes. is that? Yes. He deserved a trial. I am speechless. That is, I'm thinking of those stories that I just told you about my little sister and about my friend's nephew. And if those stories had gone south and we never knew what happened and there was a kid who was 17 who confessed. So close. Yeah. Oh, so frustrating. And I'm sure her, and some her brothers said, are still alive, right? Yeah, because she would now be 57. Uh, seven. Yeah. And her brother was four years older than her, her oldest okay. brother. So they're definitely yeah. still alive unless yeah. something's happened. Right. So, yeah, don't know what happened. I, I really I want to listen to the podcast so badly. Yeah. I'm sure it's so good. And I'm sure you find out a lot more about the confession and what exactly happened and right. the piece of evidence that was inadmissible and yeah. X, Y, Z. But yeah, um, we got asked to cover that and I'm glad I did. Can't believe too that the trials and everything or, you know, that they took it seriously and it wasn't that long ago. It was like 2019. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So what's that? Like three years ago? Yeah. Before COVID happened. <laughs> Before so the core. Sad story, Get your though. lazy ass in court. Um, yeah, it's your story, Rach. I'm glad you didn't cover mine because mine I did was not. a humdinger. Um, <laughs> no, but here's the thing. I just looked it up and 
we both did stories from South Wales. So yours is like Wollongong. And if you go straight across from Wollongong, you'll go Mm -hmm. to a very small town called Tawita. I hope I'm saying it right. Honestly, Australia scares the shit out of me. I've been. And the outside of it, all the outside that the is coast. the coast. Yes. That's all good. Yeah. Then you go in, bit scarier. Yeah. Middle, nothing. Well, no I water, mean, nothing. The only it's frame so of reference that I have is Wolf Creek that I saw when or I was the like in between a film where they get lost in the outback. Yes. <laughs> it's so petrifying. I'm sure there's so much more to it. There is so much more to it. I mean, the it's Aborigines the biggest and, country. and the it's so big. settlements and everything and but yeah, I also have family in Australia. I have cousins cool. and aunts and uncles and one of my cousins, I don't think that they listen to the podcast, but my cousin has a dog that looks very similar to my dog and we always joke oh, that boy. they are long lost <gasps> cousins. <laughs> good boys is what they yeah. are. We know that for sure. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to go straight across from Wollongong all the way to, I don't know if you'd call it East South Wales. But yeah, it's straight across. It's somewhere in there. Thirteen hour drive straight across no, into a so town. Big. <laughs> it's the so big. The biggest long. fucking country ever. Yes. <laughs> the spider on the wall. It's all spindly. <laughs> Not your wall, my oh, wall. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> oh god, it's completely gone. You didn't oh, get it. Fuck you. Do you just leave no, it? No, it was like a no spindly. Oh. Oh great! It's gonna be in my hair. It right? Won't. Okay, this is great. I haven't seen it at all. This at at any point. <laughs> oh fuck off! I don't even want to look at that pillow. Okay, just go on. Just walk. I feel like in the middle of my story, you're just gonna <laughs> scream. I'm such a pussy as well. Like scream! I'm like that. Oh, spider! Whereas like in Australia, spiders would like eat your face. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. So on theme. Yes. Oh, God, that's disgusting. I don't know where it is. Okay, carry on. If I see it, I will tell you. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Speaking of terrible spiders, let's go. Oh, God. (laughs) No. I'm never living that. Yeah. Here is my story. So, the Shippen family were residents of a a South Australian town of Tawita, a small German settlement town, which, okay, so there's no, you're, you have, in your story, you had a connection to like Bristol and England. I didn't really have yeah. a connection to this. There's not, there's no American connection, but I think there's similarities in Minnesota and how people settled in Minnesota from like Germany and Norway and oh, really? stuff like that. There's very similar. Well, it's kind of the newer countries, right? Yeah, like the Australia newer is... English-speaking countries, right? Which is America and Australia. Yeah, and so this town was very Germanic. There was a lot of German settlers that came over, which is very similar okay. to Minnesota and what happened in Minnesota. So Tawita, a small German settlement town, the family consisted of Mathis and Joanne and their seven children. Mathis had come from Europe and bought land near Tawita in 1873, where he built the family farm and home. Their children. That like 30 pence. <laughs> I believe it was very cheap. And small fact about Mathis, we'll talk a little bit about him later, but 
I read this just as I was like closing down my story, but he grew up in or near Germany and his brother was killed and eaten by a wolf. What? Yeah. <laughs> Much, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Some story somewhere was like Mathis grew up in the dark forests of Germany uh, and his that brother. Is so was... German. <laughs> it is. <laughs> like you can already picture ho- him. It's like a fucking kid's horror story. <laughs> yes. Uh so yeah, he came to Australia when he was really young. I think both his parents had died and he bought this farm and he he either met Joanne in Germany or in Australia, I don't know. No Either one way. cared to recall. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, they had seven children. Their children were Pauline, who was born in 1875. Mary was born in 1877. Fritz in 1879. Henrik in 1881. August in 1883. Wilhelm in 1886. And the youngest, her name was Joanne. She was born in 1888. But everyone called her Bertha. Remember, Joanne is also the mother. So, youngest daughter is called Bertha. Oh, okay. Don't you think you would be absolutely clapped out at that point? I just think about seven kids. Like, I know your mum had nine. Yeah. Fuck me. God, Uh, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Australia, small town, 1870s. That is a lot of at-home episiotomies. Yes. Like, for my liking. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a band. At-home at home episiotomy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, I mean, what else was there to do other than to have children to help you on the farm? Fuck. Yeah, you have got to breed those workers. Yes, exactly. So the family were Wendish, which is a term for Slavs living near Germanic settlements. They had their own distinct language and customs that were different to the Germans, and they were often regarded by the Germans as strange because of their beliefs in witchcraft and being superstitious. So just a little tidbit that's not really relevant to the rest of the story, but... um, Oh, you love a creepy little side piece. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) maybe because it illustrates, like, this family was maybe a little bit strange. Okay. Or not fully accepted by everyone else i think maybe viewed as strange yes yeah so joanne the mother she was very well liked in the town she was loved by her children and their friends and a lot of the town because of her hospitality and it was kind of known that a lot of the, the children in the town would come to her for like support and motherly encouragement Aww. yes she seems nice yeah mathis on the other hand He was, in particular, was known by the town. Everyone knew who he was, but not because he was popular. (laughs) Uh, He wasn't a well-liked guy. So there were a couple of rumors about him. (laughs) That's what you're trying to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, he was arrested for shooting at a group of kids who he said were taunting him. And he, one of the bullets, like, ricocheted and hit one of the kids in the leg. Uh, no. <laughs> he was actually taken to court in Adelaide for that, but the charges were dropped. And then okay. there's another rumor about him that he was involved in the disappearance of a hawker near the town of Sedan, which was the next town over. Do you know mm. what a hawker is? Oh, is that, can I guess? Is yes. that somebody that hunts with a hawk? 
No, very cool. Oh God, but not that's what I thought. I too. really wish that was the answer. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not. It's uh, it's actually someone who goes through the town with like their little push cart of whatever product they have, like bread. All oh, right, whatever. that is so not as cool. And they hawk like that's kind of a term like you hawk something oh, like hawking. you sell it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and it's sense. somebody who's known to like yell through the town and be like bread or meat pies for sale and that's yeah. what a hawker is so oh. mathis was rumored to be involved in the disappearance of a hawker some of the townspeople believed that the hawker was buried at the ship and property but nothing was ever pursued there so that's just a little little rumor seems like he seems like he could get away with a lot in the kind of it was like yeah. the wild west <laughs> slash outback it is again it is like Australia did very much have a wild west when mm -hmm. all the immigrants were coming over and even similar with like Native Americans and the Aborigines, like the kind of Yeah. Uh, they were establishing laws, there. they were kicking yes. people out, they yes. were taking over shit that wasn't theirs. Yes. There was a lot of stuff to be uh, going on. Yes. Like, very similar. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so Mathis, little weird again, he was known as Wendish, uh, just all that stuff kind of surrounding him specifically. Also, very surprising, but there's a lot of pictures. And we will really? talk- That's yes, cool. We will talk about why. So- Okay. By 1899, some of the children had grown up and moved on. Three of them, Pauline, Fritz, and Henrik, had moved on. Uh, they either got married or they went to, like, work on other farms. Mary, who was in her early 20s, and Bertha, who was a young teenager, they stayed home and lived with their two brothers, August and Wilhelm, and their parents. And I should also mention that August and Wilhelm, the two brothers, they were kind of considered um, maybe mentally challenged or... Right. Although in those days... It's I hard feel to like say that's, it is very hard to doctor's say. Doctors' kind of interference. Yeah, I think at-home births are they could be traumatic prone to problems. Yes, like my dad had a brother called Tommy, and he had an at-home birth. Oh, and it it was like rumored that he was stuck in the birth canal for too long oh, wow. and like starved of oxygen. Yeah, and so they always thought that he, like in those days it was just like you know in quotations a bit slow yes like yes but basically he'd been starved of oxygen as a child mm. because it was an at-home birth and he yeah. hadn't been uh gotten out quick enough which right. if he was at hospital that would never have happened but right. obviously back in those days it was all like fucking luck of the draw yeah exactly and i and that's exactly i guess the term that people you might relate to those two brothers is that they were a little bit slow and who knows it could have been because of an at-home birth or it could have been an accident on a on the farm it could have been anything education yeah luck of the draw anything. you don't know yeah. yeah and who knows if they were actually slow they could have been amazingly smart in other areas you know it's, yeah it, in those days it was like you work on the farm you're smart in that way nothing else matters so yeah yeah uh, Mary and Bertha were very close, and they actually got a job together in the next town at the Yalumba Fruit Canning Company. Mary, mm -hmm. the older one, was quiet, and workers commented on how she seemed motherly to her younger sister, Bertha, who was more outgoing and strong-willed. So, 
couple of years, they're working at this canning factory. Um, now it's 1901. Mary is 24. Bertha is almost 14. Joanne and Mathis were invited to a New Year's party at their friend's home in Flaxman's Valley, which is about 20 kilometers or 12 miles away. And back then, I'm sure it was like a trek to get to. It didn't really matter. I mean, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> 12 miles Who's today is like 10 minutes drive. Like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, unless someone's got a horse and cart, I just don't know how you're doing that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because the family did have two horses and that's okay. a little bit relevant later on. Ooh. So. It's such the- a good tease. <laughs> The parents left on December 27th, 1901, with the plan to stay for a few nights and return on January 2nd. So they were just going to party at someone's house. Fair. On New Year's Day, 1902, the two brothers went hunting and they returned in the evening where they ate with their sisters and they went to sleep in the barn, which was normal for the boys, leaving Mary and Bertha alone in the family home. So they had like a separate like barn shed kind of building uh, and that's where the boys usually slept. Okay. Bertha went to bed in the girls' room while Mary stayed up for a bit, and then she joined Bertha in their room and fell asleep. At 10 p.m., Mary woke up to a heavy weight on top of her. And this is all in her words as well. She screamed, <gasps> and as she screamed, the stranger had grabbed her wrists and pulled her out of bed, throwing her across the room where she crashed into the family sewing machine. No. Bertha woke up and screamed, and both girls called out for their brothers. The stranger told them, shut up or I will kill you, and kept saying that to them. He was holding a knife, but he dropped it, and when he dropped it, then Mary made a run for it. She ran outside to the barn where her brothers slept, and she woke them up. August. Fuck Mary, good for you. Well, yeah. I don't know if you're gonna feel... (laughs) We'll just talk about it, okay? Okay. Um, so Mary ran outside to get her brothers and maybe this is where the, uh, like slowness of the brothers comes into play because rather than running into the house and Mm. defending the home, August ran to a neighboring house for help. So that took some time. Those neighbors ignored him and they were like no we're not going to help you go to the police the policeman's house what yeah again fucking very neighborly (laughs) well that's why i think you know maybe they were seen as kind of a strange family anyway and they weren't yeah you know people didn't really want to be around them Mm. so august ran all the way back to the family home got his brother wilhelm and mary and they all ran to the policeman's home Again, nobody's gone into the house at this point. Bertha... Shit, that is time-wasting. ...is in there. So they get to District Constable Lambert's home. He Lambert lived with his parents. Oh, okay, he doesn't seem qualified already. Like, <laughs> no. What the fuck are you gonna do? Yeah. Mr. Lives with your mum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the four of them ran back to the house, and they entered in through the kitchen door. There they found a trail of blood leading through the kitchen into the parents' bedroom and then into the girls' bedroom, where 13-year-old Bertha lay on the floor in a pool of blood. Also, this was two weeks before her birthday. 
uh, before she turned Aww. 14. So 13 years old, almost 14. Uh, obviously, she was dead. Her throat had been slashed and she had been stabbed multiple times. Constable Lambert went back home to get a horse and alert the rest of the police and file a report while the brothers headed to get their parents and let them know of Bertha's death. When the police right. investigated, they found that there had been a struggle through the different... So the police came to the house. They investigated it. Yeah, like they th- five hours later. I-, I think it was probably longer than that. Like, think of like, this fuck is, me! This is 1902. People are running around on foot. Some horses. Some carriages. Like 12 miles. 12 miles. The police were ready to then go and get a horse, feed it, yeah. groom it put a saddle on it (laughs) yes it's also really hard because there's so much space in between that i could not find what was going in between like uh mary running to get her brothers and then her one brother running to get help it's like what was mary and her other brother doing in that time were they just terrified in the barn like that it's like in my head, hours have gone by. Yes, me too. And there's no there's hours. no information for those spaces in between. No. Obviously, because it's 1902. Um, yeah. So police investigated. They found that there had been a struggle through the different rooms, and Bertha had scratches and defense wounds on her hands. And here's a little bit of gruesome details. Her ears had been slashed, and she had been <gasps> stabbed in the back of her neck multiple times. Fuck. Further investigation revealed that she had not been sexually assaulted. Suspicion grew when Mathis and Joanne returned home, and when identifying the body, Mathis showed little emotion. Again, like you mentioned, this is January in Australia. It's hot. So yeah. they couldn't really put her body anywhere, so they decided to just go ahead with the burial. Okay. Bertha was buried only two days after the murder, with many of the townspeople attending. It By this point, it was huge news everywhere. Yeah, but... About 30 policemen showed up to the f- home a few days after the murder to investigate. They set up oh, shop in the kitchen. a bit late now. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> late, but and it's also a little excessive. Yeah. So they set up shop in the kitchen of the shipping home, forcing the rest of the family to live out of the barn that the two brothers slept in. So they were just forced or, forced out while the police like looked around the house, made notes, invest- questioned people. So the policemen quickly turned their sights on Mary. She had blood on Whoa. her clothes from that night. That was one of the clues. Or okay. I don't know if it was a clue. It was just a point that the police- policemen zoned in on. Journalists and photographers also showed up. There's a bunch of pictures of the days following the murder. They have pictures of the family, uh, like close-ups of their face. They have them standing outside their home. They have the coroner, Dr. Ramsey Smith, arriving with his horse and carriage to invest it. There's all pictures of all of that stuff. I guess because it must have been the biggest news that happened in that place ever. It was. It was the biggest news that had happened in South Australia at that time. Yeah. Which is horrible. There's so many points of this where I think of, like, Mary and just everyone involved, the family 
and how quickly, and how badly things turn for them. themselves that someone's just going to turn up at your house and murder you in the night. Yes. And then well, yes. your body rots in the sun and then you're just thrown in the ground. Awful. Yeah. Awful, yes. And just police and and photographers just swarming your home. What was that one that you covered where they were like, oh, people were just turning up and like taking yeah. bits of the crime scene away? Yeah, just trampling it. And I'm sure that was happening too, like trampling all yeah. over the crime scene. Just turning up to have a looky-loo. Yeah. <laughs> Which story was that? I can't remember, but it was, it it, was I think it, like it was a similar time. Killer? Yes, yeah. Something you did? Yeah. yeah. So investigators accuse Mary of being jealous of her younger sister, and we'll, we'll talk about why. But also the other thing that there's quite a few pictures of is how many men turned up to question Mary. How many men were surrounding Mary and accusing wow. her? Mary was rumored to have a relationship with one of the workers at the canning company. The 30-odd policemen questioned her aggressively in the shipping home. They brought a doctor as a witness who assisted in the identification of blood on both of the girls' clothes. Solicitors were also brought in for the shippings as well as the police because at this point they were now against each other. And then they also brought in a jury of eight men. And this was all sort of in and around the home, the shipping home that this was happening. They're bringing it 30 policemen to investigate eight jurymen to like be a part of this inquisition of Mary and her father and the rest of their family. So they've already decided it's basically her. Yes. Yeah. They've already decided that it's someone within the ship and home. Okay. So they all went to the barn house where the inquest was held and there are pictures of this. There's there's a picture and it really frustrates me. It's Mary standing there with maybe about eight or ten men looking at her. Some men are, like, writing down her, in quote statement, where it's, like, how much were they just forcing her to say things or, like, writing down whatever they wanted, saying that Again, she said it's it. it's like the Wild West. Mm -hmm. Like, you yep. know, when people used to just do, like, lynchings or, like, yeah. the town would decide that someone was guilty and then they would be like, right, we're going to kill you. Right. Like, what? Right. This isn't a trial. Exactly. This is like kangaroo court. Yes. Like. Yeah. And I kind of go by as well how people described Mary. She was quiet. She was not as outgoing as her younger sister. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, a quiet early 20s woman being questioned by a bunch of men. And the picture just looks intense. It just sounds intense. Aww. It looks intense. It doesn't look like a great experience for her um no. so that yeah they brought a doctor in to like testify that she had blood on her clothes and testify some looked, bollocks yeah looked <laughs> suspicious as the inquest was being held many photographers and journalists stood outside along with townspeople who sat around with picnic baskets waiting for any type of no. information on what happened to bertha and the outcome <laughs> so people were just waiting outside the barn house I get whispering no TV, to each other, but be cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chill out, guys. Pretend to be raking. Yeah, <laughs> don't bring a picnic basket. Pretend to be like looking at bird Pretend watching. Pretend you have some business. Yes, <laughs> in this area. <laughs> no, people just 
rocked up with their picnic baskets and, and made a day of it. Okay. So the brothers were questioned first. They were questioned separately from the rest of their family. In most of the articles that I read, there was a, an apparent divide between men and women. So the brothers slept in the barn. They mostly hung out with their dad. They, uh, Their dad was probably present when they were being questioned. And their stories differed slightly from Mary's. They said that when they came home that day, the girls were already asleep and they did not eat with them. They ate like Mary had like made a cake and they had a, the cake that was left out and then they went to bed. However, as I said before, which was in Mary's words, she said that she had waited up for them and she cut the cake and like served it to them and they, they had cake together. So okay. there's a slight difference in the story there. Again, maybe the brothers were slow. Maybe they didn't really remember. Maybe they were thinking of another night. Witness statements as well are just the worst. Yeah. It's scientifically proven they are the worst. Like, human memory is not good. Right. Especially and also, after a traumatic event. And that's exactly what I was going to say. When trauma is involved especially, and it's your little sister, your youngest sister, the baby of the family... Like you I, I are already if we ate and then did this or did this right. and then ate. I don't fucking know. My sister's yeah. dead. Right. Yeah. Like it, t- like it really fucks your memory up. Yeah, you're already in a panic, stressful state. So who knows if we could trust the brothers and how it contradicted with Mary. So the doctor was next called, saying that Mary had scratches on her legs and arms and bruising on her knees and upper thighs. Again, she woke up with a weight on top of her, and then she was thrown across the room and crashed into the sewing machine. So it could have been from that. It yeah. could have been from running. She, she might have tripped running. Who knows? Bits of her nightgown were also ripped and were found near where Bertha lay. So there was that. Uh, they brought in a tracker, and his name was Tommy King. And I would, because of the times, I would guess that he was Aborigine because... They brought him in and they said he was one of the best trackers and he said that he could not find any traces of a stranger um, around the home. He only found like footprints of family members, including their dad, their mom, everyone, Um, and that those footprints were a few days old. So the story kind of checks out that the parents left and the tracker... Mm tracker kind of agreed with that but the police and i think the articles are kind of alluding that tommy king because he was an aborigine they didn't exactly trust what he was saying so they didn't really take it too seriously and at some points they were like oh you're lying or you're wrong so there was that that little point but it also did lay a little bit of suspicion that there was no stranger tracks around. It's just so annoying because, like, at that time, it's like the whole Jack the Ripper mm. and um, those kind of crimes where, like, you don't have any DNA, yeah. you don't have any CCTV, all you have is fingerprints, fucking bloodhounds, <laughs> bloodstains, yeah, footprints. It's just such basic detective work. It really is. But I mean, super frustrating trackers were very smart like they they could tell what had happened i believe yeah yeah i mean like if that's your fucking job right 
He like, grew up that way. What reason does he have to lie? Right, exactly. All right. Then Mary was brought in again. She was alone and she was questioned for four hours by about 20 men. And that's what the picture is. Just them questioning her. Super intense. She was said to have not shown much emotion and she answered each question without wavering. Again, trauma. Also, she was quiet. She was sounded like an honest person. So why would she waver from any question? This is such a mystery. Yes. I'm I'm flummoxed, Rachel. <laughs> the men zeroed in on her rumored relationship, saying that Bertha knew of Mary and another man. His name was Gustav Nischke, and he was also an older man. Obviously, this was considered scandalous, and Mary was seen in a very bad light. The news of this just spread everywhere, and uh, it went all over South Australia, and Mary was seen as a very scandalous woman. It just kind of ruined her life. Again, not much going on. Yeah. This is the Kardashians of the day. (laughs) Sort of, but it's... It sounds like men gossiping to each other, oh, accusing yeah, a woman. Oh, yeah, misogyny all over it. Like. Totally. And she has no control over any of this. No also, control at all. who cares what all. dick she was sucking? Doesn't mean she <laughs> murdered someone. Exactly. So the investigators brought in her boyfriend, in quotes, Mr. Nishki. Lover. Lover. <laughs> he claimed to have sex with Mary on several occasions, and Bertha was in the house at the same time. It was he said, you know, whenever the parents left, that he would come over, and him and Mary it, would she's hook like up. Twenty four or something, isn't she? Yeah, she's exactly. Not, like, not a child. <laughs> no. So they also thought like maybe it was him. He was around. He he might have been around. He might have mm-hmm. snuck in. Yeah. Or Mary might have left let him in. However, he had an alibi for that night. His employer, Rudolf Schwanenfeld, I think that's how you say it. Uh, <laughs> he was brought in as a witness. And there's a picture as well of like three men just sitting, waiting to be brought in as witnesses. They were bringing in everyone. Yeah. He said that Gustav Nischke was in Adelaide the night of the murder, and he was also there in the days following because he was celebrating New Year's with them. Side note, Nischke was also engaged to his employer's daughter, uh, Mr. Oh, Schwanfeld. Oh, you know, naughty yeah. Nischke. Yes, so he doesn't sound like a very great guy anyway, and it sounds like maybe no. his employer, Rudolph, could have been lying for him because he was engaged to his daughter. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Story checks out. All kinds of scandal, all kinds of twists and turns. Yeah, this goes this goes right to the top. <laughs> <laughs> so the inquest was taken to trial at Adelaide Court. They accused Mary of the murder of her sister because they said she was jealous of her sister and so she stabbed her. That was it. That was all that they okay. took to court. No man was accused of anything. Just Mary. Mary was sent to Adelaide prison for three months to await her trial. Again, shitty for Mary. The trial took place before Chief Justice Sir Samuel Way in March 1980, or not 1982, 1902. 80 years later. God, that took ages. Yeah. That trial took fucking forever. (laughs) Mary was represented by Sir 
Hosiah Simmon Casey and was reported on. So the whole thing was reported on extensively in the newspapers. Crowds of people came to watch the trial full of details of sects, rumors of abortions. And in those three months between the investigation and the actual trial, Bertha's body had been exhumed several times. And here's a little gruesome detail. Her head was severed for closer inspection during the one of those exhumations. Just take the whole thing out. <laughs> you don't need to cut the head off. You're already well, digging. Well, also, what were they finding in that? What? Yeah. How would that have helped at any point? She was stabbed to death. I guess yeah. she was stabbed in the back of the neck, but... yeah. Again, most of her injuries that caused her death was her throat was cut. She was stabbed in the back of the neck. Just in that area was where a lot of her injuries were. So, I mean, if we want to think about it, what kind of person does that? You know, you'd have you'd have to if you're doing it from behind, like, was she asleep? She had defense wounds on her hands. Yeah, she laying on her front. Yeah. Would a sister um... have... I don't know. That it's pretty personal. Yes. Like um I'm reading the the Iceman, you know, Richard Kukunski. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm reading a book about him called what's it called? It's right here on my nightstand. It's called The Iceman. <laughs> and um <laughs> that is exactly what it's called. Okay. Um and it's uh it's saying that he had a method of killing where he would stab people right in the back of their neck. Oh, like yeah. Like with a big knife because yeah. it would just cut right into your brain and kill you yeah. straight away. Yikes. And not much blood would come out. Oh, wow. But it would, because Ugh. there's no massive veins or anything. That just made but it me would, feel sick. It would, it's really gross. I'm yeah. sorry. There's so much gross stuff in that book. I really wouldn't recommend it if you're feeling like a bit gippy. Okay. But, um, <laughs> It was saying that he stabbed people in the back of the neck with just one stab. Yeah. And that would just kill you immediately. Mm -hmm. It would, like, disable you. Mm. It's actually quite an effective way of killing someone. So... I don't know if that is... Yeah, I don't know if that's similar to this. I guess if you are thinking about this is farmland, so maybe that is a way to kill an animal quickly. But also, it's a little bit personal. Uh Uh-huh. And it's multiple, so it's it's not like they were successful the first time. Yeah, and she had defense wounds, right? Yeah. So yeah, maybe they were trying to get the back of the neck, but they couldn't get there immediately, or it just sounds messy. It yes, it does. In trial, a lot of the evidence could not prove one way or another. There wasn't much. Well, there no, was... it sounds like a fucking right <laughs> shit show. Yeah, bunch of guys accusing a woman and they're wrong so they're not going well i think they're wrong and so they're not going to get does she does she deny it does she say yeah of course she she, one of the articles said all she wanted to do was tell her mom that she had not done this like she pled to her mom and her mom and the rest of her family like supported her i don't know about mathis like he sounds like kind of a dick but it's yeah. her mom loved them. Her brothers supported Aww. her. Okay, so on March 4th, 1902, Mary was acquitted due to circumstantial evidence. <gasps> Good. Yes. But obviously because of the press and the photographs, the rest of South Australia knew of the ship and oh, family. Oh, bitch got a move. And Mary found She's it very hard. Yeah, she found yeah. it very hard to live <laughs> after that in the days and months following her acquittal. So it again, it doesn't even matter 
that she was acquitted, people had their oh, opinions yeah. of her. It's like um, you're not in prison, but you're in a prison of gossip. Yes. Even before all this, they said that she was she was a quiet person. Like she she rarely left the house. It wasn't like she was super sociable or anything. So she was Crazy. probably locked in her own home. You know that probably felt like a prison because she couldn't really go anywhere. And after mm-hmm. the acquittal, eventually she and her family moved to another town called Light Pass, which I looked it up. It's not even that far from their original town, but back then. Okay. <laughs> It's like the next town over, I guess. That's good enough. Yeah, good enough. Suspicion surrounded Mathis and Gustav Nischke, but they, they were never brought to trial or nothing was ever pursued there. The case was never solved and it's considered a cold case to this day. <gasps> Gustav Nischke, he moved due to his being recognized everywhere and he changed his name to Gus Nichols. He married and had six children, and he died in 1954. So he did all right. He did all right, yeah. Mary eventually died of tuberculosis on July 4th, 1919, which was only 17 years after the trial and murder. Her father, Mathis, had died a few years earlier. Sometime after the trial, so I'm going to leave you with this. Sometime Mm -hmm. after the trial, it was revealed that Mary had stated that it was her father that was there on the night. However, she was not allowed to state that in her trial. They omitted it. If you could see my face. Yeah. Aghast. (laughs) There was some possible witnesses saying that they saw Mathis riding a horse through the town that night as well, where someone possibly found a set of bloody clothes nearby the trail that he may have ridden. Um, So creepy. The police also stated that so the family had two horses one of them was very sweaty that night or that day and the other one wasn't (laughs) can't relate yeah (laughs) so they're just saying like why would one horse be really sweaty unless it had run from one town to the next again who knows what happened because like how long would it take for mathis you know he would have been missed if he had gone back to his home done this it's just all up in the air but anyways that's the story of the shippen family that's annoying and i kind of feel like i forgot about mathis but he's got a form for being mental yep he sounds like a strange guy his picture he does not look like a nice person you know (laughs) you know how in the 1870s like and actually mary she actually looks beautiful she looks like Aww. Uh, Kate Blanchett, I think, like a wow, young Kate Blanchett. Her. Yeah, but again, like being beautiful back in those days probably didn't help you. It made you seem more suspicious. <sighs> it made like, you seem easy to get a husband, I guess. Yeah, that could or then beat the shit out of you and impregnate you like forty-five <laughs> times. <laughs> or like you looked at you a man a certain way. It's the like skip marks out of his underwear. Like oh. <laughs> what a great life. <laughs> If you were beautiful and desired by a bunch of men and you looked at a man a certain way, they would accuse you of being a slut because you looked yeah, at you them a certain way. murdering whore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to say about Mathis, like, you know how in the 1870s a lot of pictures are just them looking straightforward because you had to stay still mm-hmm. while they took yeah. the picture. Mathis Looks like he's, like, yelling at someone in the middle of That's his picture. That's horrible. Yeah. I didn't want to look at that. 
I feel like not that's yelling. Hold my dreams. <laughs> Maybe not yelling, but like he's like saying something snarky, and it's like no, it just looks like he kind of moved during creepy, his picture to say something creepy old ghost man that yeah. murdered his daughter. <laughs> clearly, picture that's gonna haunt me forever. I'm not. I'm not looking that up. <laughs> yeah, there's a few books about this, and Australia made a TV movie called The Shippin Mystery in 1984 Ooh. if you're in Australia and you want to try and look for that and watch it yeah another point that i forgot to make was that bertha was mathis's favorite child favorite yeah favorite so, in quotes like, like her, i don't want to sound like you know i'm i'm tarring everybody with the same brush but <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of people who would fuck their daughters and then mm. kill them so they didn't tell anyone yeah like back in the day yeah like it wasn't a big deal to fuck your favorite daughter and then be like yeah so what she's my daughter i'll do what i want and like ag again like who would ted know? bundy's granddad was apparently his dad because mm. he fucked ted bundy's mom yeah like it's there's a lot of creepy shit going on back then. There is. And in the middle of nowhere, who's going to know? Who's going to tell? Who's going to believe gonna you? Who's going to tell? And your child who you brought up, you've shaped their brain to think a certain way. So they might think that it's normal or whatever. But anyways, that is the story of the Shippen family mystery. Cold case. That Still don't know what happened. The end. Weird that we both had cold cases. Yeah. yeah, very good story. True. Thank you. I'm gonna look up some more shit about that fucking creepy guy. Yeah, I'll but send you. Some I pictures. hate that whole period of lawlessness. Like for me, rules control the fun. I want a police force that is not corrupt. I want law. I want order. I hate that period for women, especially. Yeah, I watched so this do movie. I. You were either a housewife or a whore. Well, you were nothing in between. Yes, and you were just there for the bidding of men yeah this movie it's very well made called the nightingale don't watch it if you are in a not great mood it's extremely intense and depressing but it's so well made oh god and it's exactly that time <laughs> and it's about an irish woman who was shipped to australia and uh, oh. had a husband and a baby and really bad things happened to her and them and it's just exactly thinking about women at that time and how much shit they had to deal with also talissa Fuck. we've come from those women so yeah. amazing my nan had fucking 12 kids and mm -hmm. like they had to fucking live in a tent because her alcoholic husband like beat her and got her kids taken away and then had to start again and live with gypsies. Like it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's, and it's not cool. No. And then she It's trauma she was hilarious. all around. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, how she, how strong she had the were good they? spirit. Yeah. yeah to... like, she had the good spirit to laugh. Yeah. And, and keep living. Yeah. <laughs> and just keep <laughs> keep what is it? What's the end of The Sopranos? Don't stop believing. <laughs> I think that's a good place yeah. to end on. Don't stop believing. Keep living. Yeah. <laughs> We're like Oprah. Oh, the worst man. Oprah ever. Yeah. Right. All right. Thanks <laughs> okay. for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. All right. Love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. 
If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks. Bye. Ha, ha, ha.